Let's bless the Lord together. If you're joining us online, come on, can you just magnify God with us for a moment? Hallelujah. We've come to praise you. We've come to bless you. We've come to exalt you, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Glory to your holy name. Amen. Remain standing and join me in the book of Psalms. We're going to be in the 143rd Psalm. Amen. Jeff, can you pick up that pen? You can have it too. It's, it was just sitting up here. Thank you, sir. Um, psalm 143 is a psalm of David and it says, Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my supplications. In thy faithfulness answer me and in thy righteousness. And enter in, not into judgment with thy servant, for in thy sight shall no man living be justified. For the enemy hath persecuted my soul. He hath smitten my life down to the ground. He hath made me to dwell in darkness as those that have been long dead. Therefore is my spirit overwhelmed within me. My heart within me is desolate. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all thy works. I muse on the work of thy hands. I stretch forth my hands unto thee. My soul thirsteth after thee as a thirsty land, Selah. Hear me speedily, O Lord, my spirit faileth. Hide not thy face from me, lest I be like unto them that go down into the pit. Cause me to hear thy loving kindness in the morning, for in thee do I trust. Cause me to know the way wherein I should walk, for I lift up my stole unto thee. Deliver me, O Lord, from mine enemies. I flee unto thee to hide me. Teach me to do thy will, for thou art my God. Thy spirit is good. Lead me into the land of uprightness. Quicken me, O Lord, for thy name's sake, for thy righteousness' sake. Bring my soul out of trouble. And of thy mercy, cut off mine enemies. And destroy all them that afflict my soul, for I am thy servant. For just a few minutes of your time, I'm going to treat on this topic, desperate for deliverance. Amen. Let us pray. Father, you are the living word, and I ask now that you make my tongue the pen of a ready writer. Speak both your logos and your rima to your church. Open our understanding that we might comprehend your scripture and cause every hindrance to be rebuked and cast out as we bring every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. And we pray all of this, believing and expecting it in the name of Jesus. And if you believe it, would you say amen? God bless you. You may be seated. Hallelujah. Welcome to the Church of Omaha. And those of you joining us online, welcome. Thank you for tuning in. Amen. I am excited for what God is going to do this morning. Psalm 143 is classified as a psalm of repentance. It is the last psalm of repentance in the canonical order. That means the order that they're placed at, Psalm 1 through Psalm 150. There's also a chronological order that would be different because, for example, Psalm 90 is written by Moses, which would technically be the first in chronology. In this psalm, Psalm 143, and the other repentant psalms, there's a genuine cry for God's help. There's a sense of truly confessing sin and then trusting in God for his righteous judgment. David recognized the value of repentance and authentically poured out his heart to God. Now, unlike Saul, his predecessor, and Adam way back in Genesis, David didn't point the finger and blame anybody else. Instead, David took full responsibility 
for his actions. And that's what true repentance is. And that's what true repentance does. In fact, Psalm 51, which is another one of the uh, repentant psalms, it's a very beautifully written psalm of David. It's when he has been uh, approached by the, a man of God, Nathan, the prophet, and he repents. And if you need to repent, I recommend reading that psalm. It's a beautiful psalm of what repentance really means. You see, when we are confronted with sin, we can choose to change our mind and repent, or we can close our mind and reject God. Now, if you choose the former, if you choose to change the way you think, which, by the way, that's what repentance really means. It means, it's metanoia, the Greek. In the Greek, it's metanoia, to change the way you think. If that is really what happens, then there's a positive result of what's called godly sorrow, and it leads to life. But if you choose the latter, you choose to reject God, then that becomes death. Listen to what 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 10 says, and I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. So it's okay to be sorrowful for sin. But there's a difference between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. Here's another way to look at it. Godly sorrow is conviction. Worldly sorrow is condemnation. Two words that begin with con, condemnation, conviction, both end with a shun, T-I-O-N, right? Very similar in, in, in sounding and partly in their purpose because both conviction and condemnation point out your sin. Here's the difference. Conviction says, you did this, it was wrong, and if you'll repent, here comes the remedy. Here's life. Here's hope. Whereas condemnation says, you are bad. And just leaves you hanging. Well, okay, but what now? <laughs> and that's the difference. And so choosing to repent, choosing to change the way you think, is responding to the conviction of God. And by the way, that's a good thing. Because the Bible says that the Lord only rebukes and chastens those whom He loves. And so if you're rebuked and chastened, it's a good thing. Because that tells you that God loves you. If you read Hebrews chapter 13, you'll realize that if there is no conviction, if there is no correction, then God doesn't treat you as a genuine or true son. Amen. I want to be treated like a genuine, authentic son of God. So I'm willing to take correction. Here's another way I've often said it down through the years, and I've heard other elders say it. I'd much rather be rebuked and potentially embarrassed down here in front of my peers than to stand before God and be embarrassed for eternity because I did not deal with sin. 
Now, we do not know what caused David's sin in Psalm 143. We don't know. And although he was not obviously in the new covenant, we do know that the gut-wrenching, soul-wrestling repentance that he expressed in this and the other repentant psalms are ones where sin is acknowledged and it's acknowledged against God, where there's heartfelt sorrow for the action and effects of that sin and where there is hope in the righteous judgment of God. Amen? By the way, there's not a single verse in the Bible that <laughs> indicates it's wrong to repent. I believe that's in part why Paul said, I die daily. Paul d dealt with sin daily. Yes, the Apostle Paul, who wrote over half the New Testament, that Apostle Paul said, I have to repent daily. I have to die to this flesh daily. All of us should understand that there's a daily element to where we need to be cleansed. There's been times where I have prayed, God, forgive me for sins of commission, the ones I know I committed, and omission, the ones I don't even realize I did. I, I want to be, I want to make sure. I want the slate to be clean. Does that make sense? Okay. So, um, Here's something else to consider with, with sin. Sometimes our sinful action cause trouble. That's just a given, right? Our actions lead to reactions, which lead to potential trouble, right? But there's other times, like Job, that the trouble comes for no apparent reason or anything we've done. There is zero indication that Job had done anything to deserve what happened to him. And so sometimes trouble comes for that reason. So the point is this, whether it's caused by your own actions or not caused by your own actions, it's always good to repent. It's always good that when you're in a desperate situation and you need God's deliverance to do what David did in Psalm 143 and repent and cry out to God, recalling that you can find grace, amen, in the New Testament, the Bible says, to help in time of need. Look at what Hebrews 4.16 says. Therefore, let us come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Anybody got a need? You can boldly approach God and repent and, and find what you need in that moment. Amen. You can go in that throne because the Bible says we can cast all our cares on Him, all our anxieties on Him. Why? Because He cares for us. So whether sin has caused your trouble or the trial has come like Job for, because the devil has got permission to somehow test you. Call on the name of the Lord today. In fact, calling on the name of the Lord is not only our best option, it should be our only one. Amen. So let's look into this psalm and kind of dig out a little bit deeper here. Uh, verses 1 through 6 uh, are the first point I want to make. And it's simply, hear me, Lord, I'm overwhelmed and don't know what to do. Has anybody ever thought that, said that, felt that? Amen. Maybe feeling it now. God, I'm overwhelmed. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I don't know which way is up. Amen. The psalmist felt that. He understood that. Listen again to some of the things. Verse 3, he says, The enemy has persecuted my soul. 
He has smitten my life down to the ground. He has made me to dwell in darkness as those that have long been dead. Verse 4, therefore my spirit is overwhelmed within me. My heart within me is desolate. You can sense the despair. You can sense the overwhelming sense of what he's going through. But notice how he opens his prayer. Hear my prayer, verse 1. Oh Lord, give ear. That's a very bold statement. You think, well, wait a minute. I thought this was a prayer of repentance. Well, it is because verse 2, enter not into judgment with thy servant for in thy sight shall no living be justified. There's the implication of repentance there where he's saying, God, but I want you to hear me. I'm coming to you because I know I can. I know I have a relationship with you, but I know I need you to judge rightly. David seeks God's mercy as he confesses sin. And and in verse 2, he's explaining that justification comes from God alone. I'm going to say that again. Justification comes from God alone. Why am I saying that and repeating it? Because we sometimes look for justification elsewhere. Our own feelings, others around us, our peers. But we need to go to God and say, God, if you justify me, I don't care what anybody else says. Because God has the final say. Amen? Amen. Has anybody ever been unjustly accused? Right? Probably all of you if you'd raise your hands. I'm not going to force you to. Now, please, nobody raise your hand on this. Please, everybody, everybody, you know, pretend you're at a poker game. Get your poker face on. Don't, don't reveal. Ready? Okay. How many have unjustly accused other people? Right? Yeah. So... That's why I mean, let's go to God for our justification. Because if he justifies us, it don't matter what anybody else says. Well, that'll preach right there. Amen. It don't matter what other people do. Can I also say this? It don't matter what your own mind tells you. If God says you're forgiven, case closed. Amen. And that's what David understands. That's what he's meaning by verse 2. He continues praying and and he expresses the depth of the emotional trauma vividly as I read in verse 3 and 4. In this dark and lonely moment, David begins to recall the former days. And he, verse 5, begins to meditate on the works of God in his hands. He begins to reflect on the history that he's had with God. And, but here's the point. Rather than truly remembering and rejoicing in what God has done, it's almost as if David is thinking, God, I had it better in the past. And some of us can relate. We can look back and say, well, it was better then. And that, that's the spirit of what the Israelites did. We had it better in Egypt. At least we had garlic and you know, onions and I mean, I know we were in slavery and they were killing us, but wow. But that's what we do sometimes. And that's what David. So it's, it's, it's kind of a positive that he's remembering, but it's, he's remembering it like I want the glory days. Not realizing that God has a purpose for this current situation. Can I tell you, God never meant for us to go back. Have you considered the armor of God for a minute? Did you know there's not a piece of that armor that protects your back? Read it. It's in Ephesians 6. 
Not, not a single bit of that armor because God never wants us in retreat. That's why Paul said something like, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching to those things which are before. But David is remembering this. And do you sense his despair? Can you, can you, can you feel it when you read those words and hear them read? Can you relate to his pain? Have you been in those similar situations when you didn't know what to do? But, but I want you to notice something. Despite his emotions, his thoughts and feelings and everything, good, bad, and indifferent that's going on, watch what he says in verse 6, and I'm going to read it from the New Living. He says, I thirst for you as parched land thirsts for rain. He realized that despite how he was feeling, despite the fact that he thought he had it better yesterday, God, I know without you, I'm nothing. I thirst for you like the dry land is thirsting for water. It reminds me of an old chorus that used to be sung. I need thee, oh, I need thee every hour. I need thee, oh, bless me now, my Savior. I come to thee. Obviously that song wasn't written, but that's the essence of what David was saying here. God, I need you. I can't make it without you in this moment. He longed to have communion with God. He was desperate for deliverance. He was doing everything right. He was confessing and repenting and praying and seeking and worshiping, but he hadn't experienced his breakthrough yet. Hallelujah. Watch this. He didn't give up. I believe Wherever he might have been in this moment, he kept believing, he kept praying, he kept hoping, he kept reaching, he kept praising, he kept remembering, he kept worshiping, and he kept calling out to God. And I don't know how long it took, whether it was a few minutes or a few hours or a few days, but it's evident David didn't backslide and stop trying. He persevered, and because he persevered, there was a shift that was about to occur in his life. You see, the first six and the last six verses of Psalm 143 are separated by a selah. And in David's case, although a selah can indicate a musical change, such as changing a key and going up a key, the fact is it's more than a simple musical interlude because another of the meanings of selah is to stop and think about what you've said and stop and praise the Lord. And I believe when he got to the selah moment, at the end of verse 6, something began to well up within him. You know what? I do remember what you did yesterday and it was good but you've got a tomorrow in my future that's going to be even better. I'm going to stop and remember. I'm going to stop and praise you Lord. Oh hallelujah. You see although David could not perceive all that was happening in that moment and although he was alone and desolate and overwhelmed and crying tears that were clouding his spiritual view, God was still working on his behalf. 
Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. Amen. We sing it sometimes. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. You never stop. Never stop working. Aren't you thankful that God never, never quits? Aren't you thankful he's the way maker? The miracle worker. The promise keeper. And, and in, any praise team members know the next line? Light in the darkness. David feels that he's in darkness. Verses 3 and 4. But all of a sudden I begin, I believe he began to realize God is the light in my darkness. God is the way maker in my situation. Come on, somebody needs to have a Selah moment and realize, God, you've done it before. You can do it again. You've healed before. You can heal again. You've saved before. You can save again. You've provided before. You can provide again. Oh, come on. We need to have a Selah moment that says, He's my way maker. <laughs> Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And the shift begins to occur within David's spirit. Something begins to happen. Hallelujah. Somebody needs to realize if you'll just keep on pressing on and keep on pressing in, you'll experience a shift and you'll press through. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. You know, the old timers used to say, well, you just need to pray through. It wasn't... A, a rude statement. It wasn't that they were trying to just blow you off and not listen to your problem. What they were saying was, if you'll pray through the situation, you'll come out on the other side victorious. And that's what David is beginning to feel in this Selah shift. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. As he moves into this shift... Again, point one was, was this. Hear me, Lord. I'm overwhelmed and don't know what to do, right? But watch this. Point two is this. Cause me to hear you, Lord, and I will wait for you. You see the difference? And you say, where would you get that from? Glad you asked. Let's go to verse seven. Hear me speedily, O Lord. My spirit faileth. Hide not thy face from me, lest I... Be like unto them that go down to the pit. Verse 8, cause me to hear thy loving kindness in the morning, for in thee do I trust. Cause me to know the way wherein I should walk, for I lift up my soul unto thee. I'm not going to read the rest of that right now, but after this Selah shift, David asks God to answer him speedily. Because he doesn't know how much longer he can handle the situation. That's what verse 7 is saying. But as those words pass from his lips into his thoughts and mind and onto that parchment wherever he's writing this psalm, as those are being said and or written, 
a shift is occurring in his spirit where now instead of saying, hear me, Lord, he's saying, oh, wait a minute. Let me sit back and hear you. What do you want to say? I want to hear your voice. I, I want to hear of your things that you want to tell me, God. I want to hear of your loving kindness. You see, verses 1 and 7, David wants God to hear him. But in verse 8, the shift has happened. And he's saying, God, I'm going to shut up and listen to you. What do you want to say to me? Uh Hallelujah. It's kind of like another Bible character by the name of Joshua. He's just recently taken over as the leader of the Israelites. They've crossed over into uh, uh, the promised land. And he goes and for his early morning prayer, you might say, because it's early morning. Now, Joshua's a warrior. Remember this, right? He's a warrior. And as he's going forth in his morning ritual of prayer, he sees a soldier fully dressed in armor with his sword drawn. Well, that indicates that he's ready for a battle, right? And Joshua, I can see him putting his hand on his sword, drawing his, saying, are you for us or against us? He don't know, I mean, there's a million Israelites. He don't know, uh, you know, if, if every one of them. And so which, which company are you from? Which tribe are you out of? Well, are you for me or against me? And he doesn't know who it is yet. It's a theophany. It's, it's the Lord appearing to him. It's Moses had a burning bush. Joshua had a soldier appear to him, a, a, an angelic form of God. That's what a theophany is. Does that make sense? And I love God's answer. He says, neither I'm neither for you or against you. That's a wrong question, Joshua. And when Joshua realizes who it is, he's like, oh, Lord, what do you say to your servant? By the way, there's, that's a clue. When God speaks to you, he's going to speak to you in something that's common to you. For Moses, it was a burning bush. He was a shepherd. Bushes burned all the time. That was common. The desert floor, it just, you know, the, the heat... Instant combustion there, right? Something common, something, and not to take away from the supernatural, but it was something normal. Well, Joseph's a, or Joshua's a warrior. God's going to appear like a, a, a soldier to him, right? So when God speaks to you, it's probably going to be something you're familiar with. So be careful to be tuned into the Spirit of God. You might think God wants you to go to Hy-Vee, but he's wanting you to go to Baker's instead. Well, I always go to Hy-Vee. They got a sale this week, but I want you to go to Baker's and get it. Who knows but what God might be directing you to see somebody. All right, that, that wasn't in my notes. That was just, you know, sidebar for free. There we go, okay? But similar to David, Joshua saying, Lord, I'm, I'm not talking. What do you want to say? And David does the same thing here. Instead of saying, hear me, he's like, okay, God, cause me to hear you. When you have that kind of a shift, something begins to take place. David does continue to pray a little bit. Uh, he's speaking what he wants, this deliverance from God. He he he's, he's, you know, wants to hide in God. And that's interesting because instead of fleeing to hide from his enemies, he's got, God, I want to flee to you and hide in you. There's a difference. One is based on fear, fear of man. The other is based on the fear of the Lord where he's saying, God, I'm going to trust in you. Because if you're hidden in God, what does Colossians say? My life is hidden in God. 
right? <laughs> that's why the, the story of the missionary you've heard me tell, that's why the, 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 the you know, uh, warlock couldn't see his past because his life was hidden in Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. So in this shift, David recalls his relationship with God. Look at verse 10. He says, for thou art my God. Something shifts within him to realize, wait a minute, I know him by name. I have a personal connection with him. Hallelujah. And this relationship leads him and will lead him to the land of uprightness or righteousness. And that's where he will experience in verse 11 his revival and his renewal and his restoration from God. His soul is being persecuted, but now God's going to bring his soul to a place where he can be brought out of that trouble. Are you seeing the difference? Here, my soul's persecuted. Now, my soul is going to be brought out of trouble. Why? Because there's been a shift in his prayer. There's been a shift in his spirit. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. David closes his prayer and this psalm with a plea for God's mercy. But oddly enough, being a man of mercy and receiving God's mercy, it, it ends really strange. I was reading, I'm like, Lord, I don't, I don't really want to preach on that because that's weird. I mean, I'm going to read it again, verse 12. And of thy mercy, cut off my enemies and destroy all them that afflict my soul. For I am thy servant. And it's like, David, really? Now, let's be kind. David doesn't have the Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost isn't yet given. Jesus hasn't yet come. And so this is an imprecation. This is, you know, I want my enemies dead. We shouldn't pray that way, by the way. Just, just say it. Okay? I know we feel that sometimes. And, and I got both hands, all fingers raised. I, I feel that too sometimes. Okay? We should pray for them to be saved. Because as I referenced spiritual warfare earlier, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, do we? No. But against principalities and powers and rules of darkness. So recognize that the next time you feel attacked at work or on the job or, or school or whatever the situation might be. And pray for God's deliverance. But one thing we can see from this is even if we do pray for our enemies and we do hope for their salvation, if they continue to reject God, they seal their fate and will spend eternity apart from God in torment. So we pray that God would convict and draw them just as he convicted and drew us to his spirit. Amen? Now, like Job, David spoke and wanted God to listen and answer. Read the story of Job, the account of Job. You'll find that you know, he's making a lot of things and saying a lot of things. And I think it's first chapter 38 when God comes and says, okay, you want to talk, Job? Here I am. You've asked a few questions of me. I got a few of you. Where were you? <laughs> okay. Well, in both cases... Job and David, God, I want you to catch this, God never rebuked either man or any, for that matter, that I can find, for asking questions and wanting or even demanding an answer. Instead, God waited for both to have a shift in their thinking. You see, when you shift from wanting to be heard to listening to God, 
you will experience God's miraculous deliverance because God never fails. Hallelujah. You see, it's kind of like this. Anybody ever use a computer where you do a PC, you do control, alt, delete? Anybody ever have to use those three functions, right? You understand that it, it will interrupt what's going on. You're, you can reboot, restart, whatever. Uh, if, you, if you're a Mac user, it's force quit. Same concept, right? Well, using control, alt, delete, <clears throat> here's what you need to do. Control yourself. Alter, A-L-T-A-R, pray, alter your thoughts and delete negativity from your mind. You'll do that. You, you, you press control, alt, delete today to an alter. Reboot, get an update, defrag your mind, you know, right? Empty the trash, you know. Go up to, you know, preferences. Oh, I need a software update. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, I'm still on King James 1511, you know. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right? Get a software update today in your spirit. Watch this. Isaiah 26.3. Check this out. I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. You here is God. You will keep in perfect peace most <laughs> all who trust in you. Why? Or, or how? Or what? All whose thoughts are fixed on you. You want to have perfect peace? Keep your mind fixed on God. You see, the horses uh, that you see sometimes, show horses and, and all, they, they have these, these blinders on. Right? And the reason is so they don't get distracted. They don't have good peripheral vision. And so by doing this, it creates this tunnel vision for them to know, I've got to keep doing this. Oh, the master's pulling this way. Okay. Oh, he's saying stop. Okay, turn this way. But if they don't have those blinders on, things can confuse them and distract them. And so they'll put those on. We need to have some Holy Ghost blinders. To, I'm not saying be aloof to the world, but can I be honest with you? The more times I read the news, the, the feel like the Tasmanian devil. Right? Wish I could spin around like him. I feel like that sometimes. Okay? And the, and the Lord knows that's what happens to our spirit. So I want to keep my thoughts fixed on him. So I have some perfect peace. The Tasmanian devil didn't have perfect peace. Watch this. Philippians 4, 8, and 9. Again, New Living Translation. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Here it is again. Fix your thoughts on CNN and Fox News and Facebook, the media, Instagram. Oh, sorry. I was looking at the not inspired version for a minute. Excuse me. Uh, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely, and admirable. You know, I, I promise you, if that was your litmus test, you'd feel a lot better. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Watch verse 8. Keep 
Or verse 9, keep putting into practice all you learned and received of me, everything you heard from me and saw doing, then the God of peace will be with you. Does anybody want the God of peace to be with you? Well, there's a then, which means there's an if. If you'll keep your thoughts focused on things admirable, honorable, true, praiseworthy, all that, then you can expect peace. If you'll keep your thoughts fixed on God, you can expect perfect peace. Do you see why you need to control all delete today? Just recently, my wife said, honey, my computer's not working properly. Can you take a look at it? Sure. I don't remember even how many things were up and running. But I'm like, babe, you got like, you know, many programs, too many running in the background. And I did a few searches, and I know enough to get me in trouble sometimes. And I'm like, you know, so I deleted all those, closed all those. And then I noticed, oh, you need an update. So I did the update, and guess what? It's running optimally now. And just like that computer, our spirits need that sometimes. And if you're desperate for deliverance, Control your thoughts, or excuse me, control yourself, alter your thoughts, and delete negativity. I'm going to wrap up just a couple minutes early because I want to do something special. Today is uh, Pastor Kennedy's last Sunday with us. Uh, I know. He has um, taken a job in Orlando. Um, they're going to be moving there uh, to further support uh, his son. Um, and so uh, we're going to ask him to come, and uh, we're going to pray for him. Jeff, could you um, walk Kennedy up here to the middle? And we're going to pray and bless him. I know he's told some of you, and a few of you are just now figuring out, and I'm sorry we didn't announce it before, but um, we're going to pray for him, to, for God to bless him on his journeys and, and where he is going and all that he is going to do uh, going forward. So, amen. Do you believe God is able? Amen. Pastor Lucas, if you could come, and Brother Jeff, you're already here, if you'd just come, and amen. The rest of you, if you just lift your hands forward, and uh, Brother Terry, why don't you come too? I know you've been deeply involved. Pastor Trevor here, if you would come down. Amen. We're going to pray right now and ask God to, to be with Pastor Kennedy. He's going to go to Arkansas for just a about a month and see his family and his son there and then off to Orlando. Jesus, we pray right now, your anointing upon him, your direction upon his life. God, that you would lead and guide him, protect him and provide for him. We pray for Nehemiah, his son. God, we pray for the furtherance, Lord, of that relationship and the blessings upon it and upon his ministry, God. We ask you, Lord, to walk before him just as we've shown in the last few months that your grace and truth go before us and goodness and mercy follow us all the days of our life. That your hand is upon him and your spirit within him. We speak it and believe it. We declare it and speak it in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. During the break, make sure you shake Pastor Kennedy's hand, tell him you love him and be praying for him. I think he's going to keep his same number at least for a while. So if you've got his number, you can stay in touch with him. Amen. But uh, 
Uh, we'll see you back in about 10 minutes as we begin second half. God bless you in Jesus' name.